Well, welcome everyone. If I just add my uh, welcome to you all, I thank you so much uh, for giving uh, your time to be here. I know that for many of you, as Golf and Angie said, you've come very long distances, and I, I genuinely do believe that the Lord has uh, brought this about. I believe that He wants to do business with us over these few days, and uh, our prayer really is that He would just have His ways. So I want to encourage you just to engage. Uh, together with me. Let's work together at this as we get into the Word together. Um, the first night of a conference is almost quite uh, important, just that everybody feels relaxed. So, right, do you feel relaxed? Yeah. All right, it's really important we just kind of relax and just let the Lord do what He wants to do um, so that we're, we're kind of friends together in a, a, around, a, around a table with the Lord, just listening to Him. And I, I, I really just want to pray that God will help us to encounter Him in that kind of very personal and yet powerful and very purposeful way. Um, I particularly also just want to add my welcome to Richard Taylor and Andrew Parsons from Cumbran. Just so admiring the way that they have so uh, carefully um, stewarded the presence of God in all that's been going on in Cumbran with the team there. And I'm so thrilled that they have sought to um, turn the outpouring of God's Spirit into church planting and into very much reaching out into reaching the lost world for Christ. I think that's amazing, and I really do believe that God, again, has brought them to be with us, to impart something to us. I also want to uh, welcome our dear friends Edward and Frieda. Uh, our spheres, our families of churches are getting closer and closer together. Um, when New Frontiers uh, multiplied into many spheres, we had to um, kind of put on paper who we were going to be accountable to. And what we didn't realize was that both myself and Edward wrote each other's names on a piece of paper and passed them across. And so uh, we often uh, Skype each other and we look forward to those times when we're together. And I really do bless God for all that uh, Edward uh, and Frieda are doing. The many thousands of lives being affected in East Africa, hundreds of churches being planted, extraordinary miracles, extraordinary things happening, and I'm sure they're going to, again, bring a real impartation to us. Um, we've called this conference a church for the broken world. If you'd like to turn uh, with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1, uh, verses 6 to 15, and I'll just read those together and explain a little bit about um, why we've called that conference, the conference that, and uh, where these verses fit in. So Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses uh, 6 to 15. And um, <laughs> it's funny when you start preaching from an iPad, people's tweets come up in front of me as I'm preaching. I think, what's that? <laughs> Andy Moyle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if anybody says anything bad, I see it immediately. All right, so. <laughs> Don't do it again, all right, because it's going to come up, all right? Just, I'm looking for it now. <laughs> the Lord our God said to us at Horeb, you've stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negib and by the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. 
go in, take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. At that time, I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. The Lord God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you've spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. Father, I pray that as we look together uh, at your word in this opening session, Lord, I pray that it would be by your spirit, like the road to Emmaus where we hear you speaking to us personally and our hearts burn within us. Lord, I've only got words. I, I can't do anything. But I know, Lord, that when your spirit takes your word and begins to apply it to our lives, begins to touch our hearts, they burn with an awareness of your presence. We hear you for ourselves. Lord, you lead us into all truth. You open back the curtains of mysteries. You help us to see what it is that you're doing. And I do pray that for everybody listening now, I pray in the name of Jesus that there would be illumination from your word that would strengthen us, equip us, console us, comfort us, encourage us, inform us for the journey ahead. Lord, we commit these days to you. We commit this evening to you and ask, Lord, that you would begin to take us on this journey together for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we find ourselves in the very early, early stages of a new journey. Just as Moses is speaking here, there's a new journey for these people. They've come so far. They've had some history They've built some things, they've had some battles, they've established themselves, they're on a mountain, the God, God's brought them through. They've got history. And at this point in their journey, in their, in their journey with God, God starts to speak to them and said, there's a new journey for you. And I believe that it's really important we understand where we are as a family of churches. This is a moment when we are at the beginning of a new journey as an apostolic family of churches. And not only is it a new journey for us as an apostolic family of churches, as, as relational mission, uh, which I'll uh, talk about a bit more in a minute, but it's also a new journey in terms of what we believe, as we've prayed and thought about this conference, what we believe God wants to begin to speak to us about the future. We felt so strongly that this conference should be called a church for a broken world. How many uh, conferences perhaps have over the years looked at building healthy local church and we want to, you know, say we've given, you know, I've been given 25, 30 years into diligently trying my best as long with many of you to 
diligently try to build New Testament principles in local church life and to help uh, build the church into something that on the earth looks glorious because the church is God's plan A. He's coming back for a bride that's beautiful and glorious. I believe the best days of the church are ahead. They are not behind. Jesus is coming back for something that is most glorious in all the earth and fills the whole earth uh, with such wonder, it will be raised up above all the other mountains of, of, of uh, philosophical thought, of political thought, of, of cultural thought, all other uh, things that, are, that mankind looks to will, will disappear compared to the brightness and the glory of the church rising in the nations. I believe that is the promise of Jesus. That's what he's building. So giving ourselves to building that is giving ourselves to something that Jesus himself prizes. It's his bride. We are his bride, his love. And some conferences tend to focus on the kingdom in doing things in terms of bringing the rule and reign of God into the society that we live in with words and works and wonders and all kinds of ways uh, to bring the love and the kindness and the message of hope into this world that's all around us. And I want to just suggest to you that actually when those two things come together, it's very powerful. It's a bit like having two circles, and uh, there's a little drawing coming up, where the, ki- the, the church is produced by the kingdom, but the kingdom itself is much bigger than just the church. Every time the rule and reign of Christ is expressed, kingdom of God principles find their way into the world, every time you or I do or say or, or act in, anything, in, in, in such a way as to bring Jesus' heart, God's rule, God's reign into the world on, as his ambassadors, the kingdom is extended. And that's why with this conference, we wanted to bring leaders together from local church life and also leaders together who are for what we, what we want to call in the marketplace of life. Because when those two things come together, the broken world is impacted on all fronts. What I mean is this, there may be uh, some of you here and uh, you may be teachers in the classroom. And in, particularly in the West, particularly in, in, in the UK at the moment, increasingly, you might be the most stable influence in the lives of many of the children you teach day by day. You might be their best role model. You might be the only way of personifying and letting them see kingdom of God values lived out in front of them. That suddenly makes a whole different ball game to what God is about. You might be a sister on a ward of a hospital, and you may be able to set the culture for care and compassion and tenderness and kindness and bringing peace to those who are afraid, setting the culture, setting the atmosphere, bringing in kindness, joy, righteousness, love, long-suffering, patience, all the things that the kingdom of God is about, righteousness, joy, and peace. That suddenly makes your role really important. You might be a business person and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I want the way I run my business to be just. I want to treat my clients and my employees with kingdom values. I want to, I want to make a difference in this world. I want something to shine in the way I conduct business so that people see our good, do, uh, our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. 
So when we talk about a church for a broken world, we're talking about something that not only has local expression in terms of uh, a visible presence of God's people being built on New Testament principles, we're talking about what goes out from that church into the community around, a powerful impact of the kingdom of God. And we really believe that that's some of what God, some of the journey God has got for us ahead, that He wants to take us on new paths, on to places where we've not perhaps been before, into areas where we've not had much experience, but where there is great need. When God started to speak to His people here, they had never been where they were going before. Do you know, I can say this to you, the journey ahead of us, there is no map. There is no map for where we are going. But there is a compass. There is a compass. The compass helps us navigate and find the map. It helps us draw the map. And many of us, particularly living in the West, we live in a culture that puts magnets against the compass. And even some Christians, sadly, are questioning, well, how do we now present the compass when there are so many magnets? Listen, this is our guide for the journey ahead. This is our guide. It's, it, this is reliable. It's setting forth the truth plainly. It's helping navigate the cultural uh, streams and torrents of thought and opinion. There's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. And sometimes we can feel a little intimidated in the culture we live in. and We think, oh my goodness, how can we present ourselves relevant? Everybody's laughing at us. There's nothing new under the sun. Whatever has been will be again. It just has a different name. It's the same thing. This is reliable. And we have a journey where confidently we say, this is the Word of God. This is our compass. And it helps us find the map. I quite like the fact that there is no map. I like that. It's exciting. It's a bit scary. Who wants to be bored on a road that everybody's always... Well, I want to cut some new paths. I want to think... I want to do something that's never been done before in our day. Why not? If not us, then who? If not now, then when? Why not? And it, I think Moses was looking for that kind of response. He said, God's got a new man. It's time to leave this man and go to a new one. There's something new ahead. Now, maybe for some of you, you think here, do you know what? I need a new journey like I need, you know, a hole in the head. I, 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 I just, you know, I don't talk to you about new journeys. You might be a very reluctant leader in your workplace, in the church. You might, you might be a leader both in the workplace and the church. That's probably most of you. You think, I'm just leaded out I don't want a new journey. I want to sit on a beach somewhere and have someone peel me grapes. No, you might think, I, I, I don't need a new journey. Do you know what the problem is about being a leader is this? You can't settle for that deep down. You, you get bored after two days. You think, okay, this is good. Now what am I going to do? There's something within you that just can't leave that. You wish it didn't matter that much, but it does you wished you could just think, no, someone else will deal with that. Someone else will deal with that. And you know that you can't do that. There's something within 
the grace gift of a leader that says, do you know what? I have to go again. Why? Because you just feel that it's just possible that if God helps you, you might be able to make a difference for the glory of Jesus. And there's something within you that thinks, do you know, I know I'm on this earth to make a difference for His name, to be an ambassador for Him. Now, their journey was new, just like ours is new. And you may have been hurt, you may have had all sorts of difficult things. If you've been in leadership for any length of time, there will be all sorts of things that will have come across your your path. It takes everything we've got. You can think, no, no wonder Paul said, who is sufficient for this? That's normal for leadership. But we have been chosen by God to bring life. We've been appointed to be fruitful. That's a good thing. God's chosen you and me to bring fruitfulness into this world for His glory. It's not our idea, it's His. That's amazing. It's like, you know, we almost can't fail. It's, I always like to use this illustration. It's a bit like when David was in front of Goliath. And the anointings of God's on him, the call of God's on his life. It wasn't the fact he was good with stones and a sling. That wasn't what brought the victory. He could have stood blindfolded facing the other way and thrown it over his shoulder. It would have still gone in there. Because anointing breaks the yoke. He was called. He was, there was something upon him that had to just do. He knew this was his day of destiny. And I want to just encourage you, whatever's going on in your life right now as a leader, there is a new journey ahead and fresh grace for it. There really is. And as we explore over these days, I believe God's going to begin to realign us and equip us and help us. Now, before we get into with any new journey... I think there are certain things you need to have for the journey in order to navigate the journey safely. I'm going to get on to those in a minute. But I just want to make a comment about uh, who we are as Relational Mission. Now, uh, for some of you, you're here for the first time. You've never been to a Relational Mission event before. Some of you have been working alongside me and others for 25, 30 years in New Frontiers. And uh, we've, we've been on the, the journey a long while. Some of you are from other different streams and networks, and, and praise God, we want to bless the body of Christ broadly. We honor the body of Christ. Wherever God is blessing, we want to honor that. There's all kinds of different uh, histories represented in the room. And New Frontiers, as you may know, has been through quite a massive transition over the last two or three years. And many people, let me tell you a secret, many people don't understand what's happened. <laughs> right? Now, I know, no, I know all of you completely understand it, but many people don't. So, what we've got is a one-minute video that completely explains it, and you'll go, ah, I get it now. I mean, I've got people in my church who don't understand what's happened, and I'm supposed to be leading this. So, it's, you're in safe company if you don't understand it. It's good on a new journey. We think we don't know which way we're going. That's good to start with. So, just watch this little video, and all will become clear, I hope. Frontiers is a global family of churches. It began in the 1970s and has grown to include more than 850 churches in 60 nations. Over the last few years, New Frontiers has restructured, getting ready for future growth. It has multiplied from one movement into several networks, with five based in the UK. We're calling these new network of churches Spheres. 
Each has a leader and churches gather to spheres based on relationships. These networks have been developing within New Frontiers for some time. Like every family, we share the same DNA, the same history, the same mission. We are all still friends, visiting one another, celebrating together and supporting one another. But as one movement becomes many, we can do so much more. You got it? There we are. I told you it was easy. So anytime someone says to you, hey, I, I go to sometimes to, to, to meetings with people from different streams and networks, and they say, can you just explain what's happened? And I, I'm going to just show them that from now on, because I think that just kind of explains it. Now, the point is, um, we've now multiplied from one apostolic movement that was led uh, by Terry into now 20 or so, uh, maybe slightly more than that, apostolic families gathering to apostolic mission, uh, apostolic ministry based on relationship, and each one of those families of churches, spheres, whatever you want to call them, is now beginning a new journey. It's just like Moses said to them, it's time, you've stayed long enough on this mountain, turn and take your journey. Do you know, New Frontiers has been going about 30 years, and I've got in my hand here a summary of the values and the things that we've learned over those 30 years. And Terry, when he put, put this little document together not too long ago, he said this, New Frontiers has been around now for 30 years, so in biblical times we have come of age, and praise God we are still growing. It seems a good time to try and nail what really makes us tick. Now, the point I want to make is this. This little booklet, with however many values there are, I can't remember how many there are now, but there's quite a few anyway. This little booklet was a summary of what had happened on the journey. The danger with the journey ahead is if you just take a map and say, well, let's just do what we've always done the way we've always done it, then actually you can miss something that God wants to say. Now, it's not that we abandon what God has taught us, just as the Israelites didn't abandon the principles, the things that had got them safe thus far, but they had to, fight, had to find different ways to fight different battles using the same values, the same plumb line, the same things that they knew to be true. They had to contextualize them in different ways according to the new terrain, the new enemy, the new cultures, the new places they were going. And I want to say this, this is supposed to be our floor not our ceiling. Right? This is supposed to be something like when the Israelites used to travel and they come to a point where they want to celebrate what God had done, they built a memorial of loads of stones. And it was so in the future, if their children said, what do these stones mean? They would be able to recount in detail the wonderful victories and things that God had done in the past. That is what we want to do. We want to celebrate all that God has done in our wonderful family of New Frontiers, which I am sure I speak for many of you who've been in that family for many years. I'm so grateful and thankful to God for all he's led us to learn and understand. But folks, there's a new journey ahead. There's a new set of terrain, just as it was for these guys. It said you stayed long enough on this mountain. There's time when something has to break out. There's a new advance. There's, a, there's new things we've got to advance into the world with, old truths in new ways of expressing them keeping the values, keeping the things that we know to be biblical and true. But there's so much out there that's so broken, and we need to find 
creative ways, biblical ways, helpful ways of engaging. A bit like when Paul went to Athens and he spent a while just walking around looking and asking and thinking, thinking how, do I, how do I get in here with the gospel? How do, I, how do I make the gospel work in this situation? We are facing, particularly in the West, massive, broken society. Is that not right? It's massive all around us. The need for the gospel has never been greater. And yet the, the knowledge that people have of the gospel has never been smaller. So we've got to find new ways of engaging where God wants to take us on our journey. So as you begin a journey, what are the key things you need to go? Well, it's just you need to know. Well, it's three things I believe that um, the Lord would perhaps just encourage us uh, from this passage to know. The first one is this, and they all begin with P, so I was very pleased with myself that they all make good sense as every good preacher should have three points all beginning with the same letter. The first one is providence. In providence. Verse 6 it said, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Providence means God's particular and peculiar love towards us expressed in His care of us. Providence is God holding us in His hands with great purpose, great tenderness, and great um, care. You and I are not driftwood on the sea of circumstances. You, you and I are sovereignly here by the providential tender care of God. Providence settles our hearts. Providence makes us feel faith. Providence makes us feel secure that whatever lies ahead, we know that it's God who's orchestrated what the journey that we are going into. Providence comforts your soul so you can put your head on the pillow at night and think, I know that God has His hand on my life and what I'm doing. Providence is very necessary for a journey into the unknown. The providential care of God. Now, we see God's providence in the world around us, upholding creation, uh, upholding the world. We see His, His general care for all things but we see His special providence in caring for you and for me. His tender care, His extra, above-ordinary intervention in the life of people. I find it so wonderful to meditate on the fact that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me, the Father took me in His arms, He brought me home, He saved me, He cleansed me, totally because it pleased Him to do so. He started it, He will finish it. And if he started that, how will he not also, Paul argues, along with that, graciously give us all things? Now, those all things are all that we will need for the journey. And we need to be so utterly secure that God has his hand on us. Insecurity, anxiety, worry, fretfulness, is God with us, isn't he? Is he going to turn up? Are we going to make it? Is this safe? Shall we go? We'll wreck the journey. We've got to settle something in our hearts first and foremost tonight. This is God's idea. This is God's idea. He has to, he knows what he's dealing with. God is never 
to quote Packer, God is never disillusioned with us in the way we are so easily disillusioned with ourselves because he never had any illusions in the first place. The only people that had any illusions were us, and we go through life constantly realizing, goodness, I'm really worse than I thought I was. But God knew all that and has called us by His grace, justified us freely, made us His children, and is totally thrilled with us, even while we're works in progress. Providence settles the matter so that we can turn and take our journey. Do you know, the Lord has His timings in all things. And I don't believe that as a family of churches, as relational mission, I don't believe we are a byproduct of changes, a subsidiary of something that's had its best days. I believe what God has done through New Frontiers, He wants to multiply across the globe. There is better days even ahead for our family, our contribution into the world. We're not the only thing God is doing by far. We're a small thing, but we are a thing, and it's God's idea. And there's more, and I believe God will help us launch even more apostolic families. Many of you know that my, the whole reason I'm doing what I'm doing is I believe God said to me that He wants to help us multiply apostolic spheres in the nations through the raising up of spiritual sons and daughters. It is about multiplying and multiplying and multiplying, not about building a, a big organization. It's about having sons and daughters that inherit the nations. And we've got a part to play in that, and providentially, that's what we're about. There's a timing of God. Paul talks in Corinth about a field God has assigned for us. Do you know there is a field God has assigned in the Spirit, and we don't even know where the outer edges of it are yet. We're yet in the shallow waters. I believe there are nations, there are places God wants us involved, planting churches, touching the lives of people, and we don't even know where they are on the map yet. How do I know that? That's providence. It's providence. It's not about us bigging ourselves up is about us humbly saying, Lord, you have assigned the field for us. Help us to find it. Providence sometimes isn't very pastoral. In verse 7, you might think after this big announcement, you've stayed long enough, turn and take your journey, you might think the Lord would say, now just consolidate. Just, just have some relational time, just chill, big journey ahead, just take it steady, where does he send them? Go to the hill country of the Amorites. Providence doesn't always feel comfortable. It's the first thing they're told to do. Go, tell you what, says Moses, time for a new journey. What I want you to do is this. Go and live right amongst your enemies. That's the first thing I want you to do. Now we can say, well, God, we need time to adjust. Well, Eagles only learn to fly by having their comfortable nest destroyed all around them by the mother and father eagle. And the eagle sits there thinking, I like this twig. I've got all these lovely feathers, my mother's feathers lining the nest. Beautiful, lovely thing. And the eagle's just pulling it all about. Go on, out you go. Think you only, and as you're falling through the sky thinking, help me, the wings come out and suddenly you think, I can fly. The only way you know is sometimes to have a go. And he says, go into the hill country of the Amorites. See what the Lord will do. Now, for many of us here, you, think, you might think to yourself, yeah, I tried that. Really hurt. Really, I got beaten up. 
And one of the things that we value highly as relational mission is this, reality. Can I say, pioneering for Christ is not all glory without tears. It really isn't. That we can, we can airbrush life, but that's not the reality. I know there are many of you in this room who've gone out and pioneered things, believing God really called you to do it, the favor of God was on it, and all sorts of calamities, setbacks, difficulties have come. Sometimes the enemy fights back. Why? Because he is an enemy. No. And it hurts. And if you've been in leadership any length of time, you will know there is a, there is a very powerful enemy we come up against. This is hill country of Amorites. It's even got their name on it. They've claimed it. They've put up the slogan, Amorite country. It's arrogance, isn't it? The enemy sets up, this is my country. Stuff happens. And one of the things we have to make sure is this, that we have a theology that allows for mystery, setback, difficulty, pain, we see moments of great advance, but moments of also considerable mystery that we just don't understand. I think of our dear friends, Edward and Frieda, just been to some of the drought-hit parts of Kenya, and you find believers dying, literally, dying of salvation. Believers. Now, unless you've got a theology that can handle the fact that the kingdom is now, but also not yet, that there is this overlap, there is a battle going on. We're not, it's not some kind of dualism, the battle belongs to the Lord. Jesus will reign, but we are in a battle. We have to be able to handle that. I love the quote by Flavel where he talks about God's prov providence. And he says, uh, referring to Amos 3, verse 3, says, where it says, Can two walk together unless they be agreed? And John Flavel says this, When God's providence and God's promises seem to part company and go in different directions, he says this, you can be sure that they will meet up again at journey's end because they are friends and there is an agreement between them to do so. I love that. And many of you may be in a situation where you think, you know what, the providence in our lives and the promises of God just seem to be going like that and I, don't make, I can't make sense of this journey. Listen, they will meet up again at journey's end. You can be sure of that because they're friends and there's agreement between them to do so. We can trust the providence of God, whatever you are going through. Any of us who've been involved in planting churches, extending the kingdom, we know there's a cost, there is a battle, and sometimes we just have to say, Lord, I don't understand any of this. I cannot find any verses, chapters, or explanation for this, but I do know this. I know who you are, and I know what you are like. And whatever I don't know, I can trust you in the middle of this. Providence helps us, because God is good all the time. He, all the time. There's never any shadow or change in Him whatsoever. He's always good. Whatever else the explanation, it's not God. We really need to know that. Providence enables, to be very, enables us to be very vulnerable, dependent, and yet obedient, just like Jesus. Do you know this 
Jesus, we're, Jesus is only asking us to walk the way he's already walked. Jesus had to entrust himself to his Father. That wrestling time in Gethsemane, even Jesus, just think about this, even Jesus died with a why on his lips. Why have you forsaken me? Wrestled through on the cross. Now, we don't understand all these terrible mysteries. How do you sort out the kind of the humanity and the deity and he's wrestling but trusting and knowing and wrestling why and if Jesus had to wrestle those big why questions when he's just obeyed his father's will and he still had to wrestle them through till he got to the place where he could say it is finished and into your hands I commit my spirit he had to wrestle it do you have to wrestle things sometimes with God in the workplace in the church and the things you're you'll have to wrestle it through and sometimes, like Jesus, to say, why? But nevertheless, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's what sorts out leaders who take the journey and those who turn back at the first sign of difficulty. It takes real guts to trust unreservedly in the providence of God. This is making sense. This is real. You're just trying to be real. This is not... This is not a safari trip where you're sitting in an open-top car looking at all the nice animals that have seen every tourist for, you know, these are, there's wild animals out there. <laughs> We've got to learn to trust his providence. Next thing is we have to learn is he has made promises. Verse 8, see, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession to the land I swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's promises God has made. You know, a man or woman with a promise from God, very dangerous thing. Somebody's got a promise from God. God likes it when we take him really seriously. I love the promises that I read in Scripture concerning God's desire to bring his church into great, glorious, global influence. Let me just read you two or three in uh, Isaiah Chapter 62 to 4, it says, Behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then in uh, Zechariah uh, Verse, uh, sorry, chapter 8, verse 21. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Then Isaiah chapter 2, and it's repeated in Micah also. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2 says this, in verse 2, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now we can read promises like that and we think, my goodness, what a glorious picture 
of an end-time glorious church. And Jonathan Edwards, the great uh, revivalist, said this on those verses, commentating on them. He said, there has been nothing yet brought to pass in any measure on earth to as yet answer these prophecies. His conclusion is they therefore lay ahead for the church on the earth now before Jesus returns. Jesus is coming for a bride that is beautiful, glorious, magnificent, rising in the earth. Now we can look at the broken world all around us and think that's highly improbable. So was the resurrection. Completely impossible actually. That's the whole point of a promise from God unless Listen, you've got, you and I have got bigger problems than that if God can't do that. The bigger problem is this. When you breathe your last, you've had it. <laughs> if God can raise a dead body to life, He can bring His church to glorious global influence so that every tongue, tribe, and nation knows the Lord and the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. If He can raise a body from, to life from death, He can do that. It's about knowing His promises. And we can think, I don't know how you're going to do it. We don't need to know how. We just need to know that He is. He's made promises. And God loves it. And when we have our prayer evening on Friday evening, we're going to wrestle some promises with God. Say, Lord, you've said, you've said. God loves it when we do that. He loves it when His people get hold of the Word and say, Lord, you've said. I often say to the Lord, Lord, if you didn't mean it, you shouldn't have said it. Because it's in here. You've got a problem. You have a problem because it's in here. I can't see it here. I can see it here. So will you take it from here and let me see it here? Lord, the Lord loves that. He loves people who, like Jacob who wrestle with him. Why? Because he wants people to really believe him and say, well, something's wrong here. God can't lie. He said this, therefore it's got, something's got to change, and it can't be God. God loves that. He, he wants people who go on the journey armed with nothing but promises. Promises are powerful. I love this quote in uh, this, this uh, uh, book by J.H. Thornwell. He says, if the church is, the language is a bit old, but you'll get it. If the church could be aroused to a deeper sense of the glory that awaits her, she would enter with a warmer spirit into the struggles that are before her. Hope would inspire ardour. She would even now arise from the dust and, like the eagle, plume her pinions for loftier flights than she's yet taken. That's great stuff. <laughs> What she wants and what every individual Christian wants is faith. Faith in her sublime vocation. Faith in her divine resources. In the presence and efficacy of the Spirit that dwells in her. Faith in the truth. Faith in Jesus. Faith in God. With such a faith, there would be no need to speculate about the future. That would speedily reveal itself. It's our unfaithfulness, our negligence and unbelief, our low and carnal aims that retard the chariot of the Redeemer. The bridegroom cannot come until the bride has made herself ready. Let the church be in earnest after greater holiness in her own members and in faith and love. Undertake the conquest of the world. And she will soon settle the question whether her resources are competent to change the face of the earth. I mean, man, 
Who are we? We're his people. He's made promises. He's got a problem. Because he's only got us. I mean, I wouldn't have picked us, with all due respect. If I was going to under, undertake the conquest of the world, this wouldn't be where I'd start. <laughs> but for some unfathomable reason, this is where he did start, with us. Which is because he wants to make it only possible that the glory goes to him. So that people will shake their heads and say, only God could possibly have changed that school, that hospital, that business, that community, that broken need in society could have saved those thousands of people. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this because He's made promises. And promises are not just, uh, not just kind of vague and general, they're specific. I love the, the verse where Paul says to Timothy concerning prophetic promises that he's had uh, over his life. In 1 Timothy 1.18, he says this to him. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now, what is Paul saying? He's saying, Timothy, you know there's a destiny over your life that God has spoken to you about. Line your life up according to the promises that God has made over you, because that's how you will run a good race and you will see the fruitfulness that God has called into your life. Every one of us has promises from God individually over our lives. And God has his own way of communicating those to us, many ways, but when God speaks to us, we must line our lives up alongside the promises that he makes, the, the, the sense of destiny. And we've got to sometimes allow due time on prophetic words. I want to say perhaps to some of you here, you've got words that you feel God has, you've tested them, you, you, you've absolutely certain these are words from God, and yet, yet the years have passed or you've had setback and difficulty. Just think for a moment of the Apostle Paul who just after his conversion, he's, he, at his conversion, he's told that he's going to stand before kings, that he's going to be a chosen vessel. He goes to Ananias, prophesies over him, and, and begins to speak that he's going to stand before kings and have great influence at national level. Do you know, it was many, many years later that Paul finds himself standing before King Agrippa. It didn't happen overnight but it did happen. And so Paul was able to say, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. In other words, he's, and he said, I've run the race. I've, I've, I've run the race. He knew what God had called him to. There was a destiny, even destiny prophetically, even in Paul's conversion. And he lined his life up knowing what God had called him to do. And it took him years to get there, but he knew when he stood before King Agrippa, he said, I counted a joy to stand before you, King Agrippa. And in his mind, he must have been thinking, well done, Ananias. It's taken us 20 years or however long it was, but we're here. There was a calling that took him many years to, out, to outwork. Sometimes we just have to be very patient. And some of, some of us, I, I just felt particularly just as we come in to land shortly at the end here, I just felt that there were some people who are a little bit more senior in the journey, 
And uh, I was just caught by this quote from Heidi Baker's book, Birthing the Miraculous. And she said this, Our God is the God of the impossible. He can take a barren ministry and breathe His Spirit into it. Even in your old age, He can breathe over you and cause you to bear a ministry, a promise, or a revelation, a beautiful gift that will carry His glory to the ends of the earth. He can take the most barren and broken life, even the kind of life that's aborted its own promises many times over, and in it plant a glorious new promise along with all the strength that's needed to carry it full term. There is always a new day with God. There is always fresh hope. He is a redeemer. That means he, he, he specializes in taking things that are broken and fixing them. He's a savior, which means things that would be lost, he can bring them back to life. That's what Jesus does. Give him your worst. he fix it. He can. He, with one word, he flung universe into being. We can give our mess to him and say, Lord, if you can do anything with that, I'm willing to serve you. And you know what? Jesus is this most amazing, providential, promise, wonder-working, miraculous God that can take all our brokenness, all, our all the things that we think disqualify us. He can take it and actually use those things to make us fruitful. The very thing in life you think most disqualifies you often makes you the most fruitful if you present it to him with faith and say, Lord, whatever you can do with this, I give it to you. Promises really, really matter. And then very lastly, progress. Verse 8, take possession of the land. Progress. Take possession of the land. What does our journey look like? few thoughts. Number one, very messy very messy. If you don't like ambiguity, paradox, uncertainty, lack of clarity, you might find this bumpy. If you like straight lines, neat lines, all difficult. Difficult. It's messy. The problem is wheat and tares grow together in the same field. If only they were in straight lines. I'm an Englishman. I like cues. I want, I want everything to line up. But God doesn't do lines. Just, just messes it all up. It's messy. Jonathan Edwards said this about revival. Really, listen to this. This is, this is a man who lived through it. He said this. A great deal... <laughs> A great deal of noise and tumult, confusion and uproar, darkness mixed with light, evil with good, is always to be expected in the beginning of something very glorious in the state of things in human society or the church of God. <laughs> after nature, and he, he goes on to explain, after nature has long been shut up in a cold, dead state, when the sun returns in the spring, there is, together with the increase of the light and heat of the sun, very tempestuous weather before all is settled calm and serene, and all nature rejoices in its bloom and beauty. He's making the point, when God starts to move, it's messy. There's all sorts of things you have to think, is this God? I don't know. Is this God? I don't know. I've never seen this before. Is this God? Is it man? Is it the devil? What do we do? I don't know. There's no map. There's no map. But there is a compass. 
and we do it in team. And we think, well, Lord, help us. We've not seen this before. What do we do? I love, I, I'm so grateful for, for John Wimber and the, the legacy he's left. I, I think he's helped us so much, just particularly repackaging teachings of George Eldon Ladd and just the kingdom now and the not yet. I, I just love the way he, he so often said, and he saw many things breaking out that had never been seen before. And he, he used to say this, well, let me put it another way. When, 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 I'm not a very good gardener. I'm not a very, I love a nice gardener. I'm not a very good gardener. When the spring comes, I adopt a slash-and-burn policy <laughs> which to eradicate weeds, but in the process, I eradicate most other living things <laughs> so that when it gets to June or July, I look around the garden, I think, there's not much color here, is there? <laughs> now, now, I'm beginning to learn, and what I'm learning is this. You have to let everything grow and when it gets a little bigger, you can see whether it's good or not. Right? Where we are going, we will face things that will start to grow and flourish in the church or in the marketplace, things where the gospel's beginning to produce something we think, and we're looking at it and we think, ah, what is that? Is that a weed or is that a plant? Is that God? Now, I can't give you examples. Why? Because we haven't got there yet. But when we get there, you'll remember I told you, right? <laughs> and you'll think, you know, he said we wouldn't know what this was, and we don't. Progress requires the ability to deal with mess, real mess. And one of the areas we will find that really, really testing to our theological and philosophical and values and all the things that are wonderfully in this book, we'll say, oh, it's not in the book, it's not in the book, where is it? We haven't got that one in here. This world we live in is so broken, there are new things being presented to us almost every day, and I think, well, I can't even find that in the Bible. How do, I, how do we negotiate that one? Ethical, moral, challenge? So much brokenness. Lives just utterly, utterly all over the place. I don't even know where to begin. Nothing I ever did in leadership training prepared me for this. I think God's been helping me just to learn something about this recently, just, just putting me alongside one or two people with very broken lives, you know, people who've been on heroin for many years, and I've never worked, I don't know, I don't know. I All I do is I just pray with them. I say, I don't know what I'm doing, but Lord, you know what you're doing, just bless them, heal them, do, bring them to Christ. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And they say, well, we could, uh, this guy says to me, well, I, I feel the love of God when you pray, so I think, Okay, I'll do it again. Just, but I, there's no map. I don't know. Never done it before. There's so much brokenness. Are you, are you ready to kind of roll your sleeves and say, Lord, it's going to be messy, 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 but you'll help us. We'll get it wrong. We'll get it right. It's also, just lastly, I'll just finish with this, it's also incremental. What do I mean by that? Well, in the passage we read in Deuteronomy, just after they started their journey, um, we read this in, in, the, in the, next, the next chapter. In um, Deuteronomy 7, verse 22, they've started their journey, and then we read this. 
the Lord your God will clear away these nations before you. Notice this, little by little. Say that with me, little by little, until you make an end of them, right? Sorry, you may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. What does that mean? It means this. We've got a massive task ahead of us. Massive. This is going to take 20, 25 years of really purposeful effort to fulfill some of what I believe God has begun to speak to us about as an apostolic family even now. 20, 20 to 25, 30 years. And even then, we will just be preparing the next floor for the next generation. That's, that's where we're going. This is a massive thing we are embarking on. And what I look for more than anything are two things, atmosphere and momentum. Right, if you get atmosphere and momentum, even if it's not all happening in one, uh, all at once, little by little, little by little, building, 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 you just nudge the wheel, nudge the wheel, nudge the wheel, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing what God asks you to do. Gradually, 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 momentum builds. Uh, you start to learn things. And God said to them, don't, don't expect it all to happen at once. Little by little, little by little, you will increase. There's things that we can't take on yet because we haven't grown enough to do them. God, in his providence, takes us through the journey at the right pace and the right place. Even when there are sudden breakthroughs of revival, they still need to be consolidated and built in. They still have to be built uh, afterwards. When people asked George Carey the secret to his pro productivity, he said this, I can plod. <laughs> and that guy, probably more than any other, changed the face of missionary endeavor through his lifetime. I can plod. That doesn't mean it's always a plod. just means that we know how to do it little by little, little by little. We look for that elusive sweet spot as a family of churches, and I'll finish with this, where we're trying to find the balance between centralized organization and decentralized. So we're trying to think, how does this look for us on the journey as a family of churches? Do we, do we have this thick spine of activities where we, we pull it all together and it's all organized from the center and there's little bits of freedom? Or do we have a, a thin spine where we think, no, that there's things God's called us to do together, but we want to release more and more freedom. I tell you, I'm leaning more towards that. And as a result, we've just been thinking recently about whether we have a, a big event in, a, in, in the next couple of years where we gather thousands of people together. I honestly believe that the Lord has just been speaking to us and saying, no, don't do that at the moment. I want you to begin to explore ways of multiplying life in the clusters, in the different pockets, in the different hubs of activity. I believe God's going to give us more and more detail on that. He's going to give us a strategy. He's going to help us find the way how to do that. I believe he's going to speak to us about corporate prayer. I think there's some things going to happen about that. I believe God wants us to be people who storm the kingdom with prayer. There's not been a move of prayer in Europe for a long while that has been sustained at local church level. I believe God wants that on the agenda, and he'll teach us and show us how to do that. It's little by little, little by little. The question tonight, just as we begin this conference and come to the end of this first session, is this. Are you up for a new journey? Have you got the, 
a sense of God in, in your heart, the sense of wind in your sails saying, Lord, we don't know the map, but we know the compass, we know the call, and we're going to trust you for the journey. Even when sometimes it doesn't make sense, we're just going to trust you. We're going to go with what we know to be true. If that describes how you feel tonight, then would you just stand with me? I'd like the, just to, the band to come back, and I'd like us to just really consecrate ourselves for the journey, whether it's in the marketplace of life, in the school. You might be a school governor. You feel really called to bring kingdom of God values in that school place. You might work in a factory and have the influence over how people are treated. You might be planting a church in a nation where we haven't got any other representation at all and there's just you and a handful of people. There is a journey ahead, folks, and the thing we need tonight, more than anything, is faith in what God has called us to do. And I believe just as we come uh, into these last moments this evening, I believe God wants to anoint us with gifts of faith right across this room. Faith is not trying to persuade yourself that something's going to happen. Faith is a gift from God that against all the odds, you know, but you know, but you know, but you know what God has said. Faith goes against every rational argument that can be set up against it because you know what God has said. And so, Lord, I just want to ask you, Holy Spirit, to rest upon us and give gifts of faith right across this room right now. Gifts of faith for all the different callings and destinies that we see before us, marketplace, local church, different nations. Begin, Holy Spirit, just to give faith right now. Some of you need to surrender your disappointments to God. And you need to, with faith, entrust them to Him. Say, Lord, I don't understand. This really hurt. I feel utterly confused. But I trust You. And I'm giving You tonight my burden. I'm giving You my questions. I'm giving You my disappointments. I'm giving You the things I don't understand because I do know this. You are good and You are to be trusted. Some of you, I think, just need to do that right now. It's clearing the clutter so you're ready for a new journey. So Holy Spirit, just begin to move right now across this place. Some of you have disqualified yourselves and you've thought, you know what, I don't think I can do this. I, don't, I think, God, you've got the wrong person. No, you're the right person. <laughs> you're the right person. You're trying to run away from it and think, Lord, I don't think I can. Well, that's why he's chosen you, that in your weakness, he can demonstrate his greatness. It's just in faith reaching to God tonight and saying, Lord, I believe you have put this dream, this calling, this destiny in my hands, and I don't know how I'm going to do it. I feel weak. I feel unable, disqualified. But Lord, nevertheless, I trust you, and I give my life to you afresh for you to take my life and make it fruitful for your glory. If you're particularly feeling right now the Spirit of God just really resting on you in terms of needing fresh faith for the journey, just put your hand up where you are. If you're feeling the Holy Spirit just really speaking to you now and, and just challenging you, saying, no, I, need, I know I need fresh faith, just put your hand up where you are. If, you're just, if you've not got your hand up, just look around you and where there's someone near you with their hand up, just start to bless what God is doing in their life. Just reach out, put a hand on them. Just begin to bless what God is doing. 
just begin to impart, begin to speak faith. Begin to speak faith into people's lives right now. When we lay hands on people, we can, we can, we're, we're doing what Jesus would do. We're just imparting faith right now. Gift of the Spirit right now. Holy Spirit right now. It's just chains that are holding people back. Disappointments. We cut them now in the name of Jesus. We cut them now. Everything that, that disqualifies. Everything that makes you think, oh, I'm not doing that again. We just surrender it now to the Lordship of Christ. Right now, where there's strongholds in thinking, we break it right now. This is about His promises, His providence, and His progress. So not about us, it's about Him, trusting Him. God's just untying things that are holding many people right now. Some of you in, in education facing overwhelming needs and you're thinking, I feel called to really make a difference, but I don't know where to start. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I just speak anointing over your life, strategy and wisdom to unlock broken situations and bring healing and glory for the grace of God, for the, for the, for the glory of Christ. This is a moment to clear the decks with God. Just clear the decks so that he can begin to put new things in over the next couple of days. It's what repentance means, to turn, just to turn and think again. Lord, I have thought this way, I'm going to think this way. I'm going to trust you through the pain sometimes. Through the pain, I'm going to trust you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God's just doing just gentle work in many hearts right now. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the journey that you're going to take us on. We really do. We're excited, Lord, that you've got amazing purposes that we can only begin to dream of. We count ourselves really blessed to be called by you, to know you. What a wonderful thing that you've called us to be part of making Jesus famous. What a wonderful thing. I thank you for everybody here, Lord, and the, the specific callings on everybody's life. And Lord, as we just begin this conference together over these next couple of days, we want to ask you, Lord, give us real faith to believe that through your church there can be a real impact in a church for a broken world.